March 13, 1964, a woman named Catherine Genovese was murdered outside of her apartment in Queens, New York. Over the course of a brutal attack lasting over 30 minutes, Genovese was stabbed at least 14 times. Some weeks later, the New York Times reported that several of her neighbors in their apartments heard her screams and her cries. But not a single one of 38 bystanders came to her aid. Well, one person finally called the police, but it was too late. The event was an absolute tragedy. Why didn't anyone help Kitty that night? Did she have the most miserable neighbors ever? This case immediately caught the attention of the public as well as psychological scientists, leading to research on the most important term of today and what we studied in the second problem, the bystander effect. The bystander effect is a psychological phenomenon or a psychological theory whereby someone is less likely to offer help to a victim when there are more people present. It is less likely than when being alone. The presence of others can make an individual inactive, as to say, our helping behavior is influenced by what surrounds us. This theory in that moment was mind-blowing and that's why the social psychologists Darley and Latane wanted to discover if it was true and therefore understand why no one helped Kitty Genovese the night of her death. Darley and Latanet conducted an experiment with shocking results. It was 1968 when they did that, and in this experiment, all participants overheard an epileptic seizure. Somebody, give me a little help here, because I'm having a problem. I've got one, one of these. Of course, it was fate. Some participants believed they were the only observant of the emergency, and others believed they were one of many, like two or four. I wasn't saying that the results were shocking just because for those participants who were alone, 85% reported the emergency, which is okay. But when participants were with two more people, 62% of them reported. And the most impressive thing is that when participants were with four more people, only 31% reported the emergency. The responsibility any individual feels for helping is diffused when there are other people who could also help. This experiment showed that indeed someone is less likely to intervene in an emergency situation when there are more people than when being alone. But warning, because the lack of help is not necessarily caused by apathy or loss of humanity. It is not that people don't care. I mean, we all have experienced this ambiguous situation where we get confused and we don't really know how to react. But actually, there are many more reasons why people do offer or do not offer help. The first one we're gonna mention, of course, is the diffusion of responsibility. This is directly related to the bystander effect, and that means that, well, people feel less responsible when they are in groups compared to being alone. Responsibility is shared among all the onlookers. So people alone are most likely to help because they carry the entire responsibility. Well, yeah, more onlookers equals to less individual responsibility. And a second term also very important is the pluralistic ignorance. This is another reason why we do help or we, why we don't help. 
This is a type of misunderstanding or misinterpretation that occurs when members of a group don't realize that they all share the same perception. In case of an emergency, each member interprets wrongly the other's inaction and think, oh well, if I'm in a confusing situation but the others aren't reacting, then it might be because there's no emergency, so no need to help. What's the problem here? That everybody's thinking the same. It's like that everyone is looking for guidance and that stops people from taking initiative, it slows down the response time and of course it's because these ambiguous situations reduce the involvement. As one good example, imagine the, the following uh, scenario. You're sitting in a large lecture hall listening to an especially complicated lecture. After many minutes of incomprehensible material, the lecturer pauses and asks if there are any questions. No hands go up. You look around the room. Could these people really understand what the lecturer is talking about? You yourself are completely lost. Your fear of looking stupid keeps you from raising your hand. But as you look around the room and you see that there are no raising hands, you interpret their similar behavior differently. You take that if they are not raising their hand, is a sign that they understand the lecture, that they don't have any question. But what's truly going on? That everyone has questions but nobody says it. Because everybody thinks that nobody has questions. This is the pluralistic ignorance. But another reason why we help or why we don't help is because of normative influence. This means that people don't want to get involved in others' affairs. So most people prefer to avoid doing anything that may lead to an embarrassment, especially in ambiguous emergency. It's all about the ambiguity. By the way, all this bystander effect and, and diffusion of responsibility, all that, it depends on the crowd size. The more people in the same space, the less or the, or, or the slowest help. And, and, this effect only happens when the members are strangers. This is super interesting, because if individuals in the situation know each other, the effect can be minimized, even can be reversed and become more helpful. Does it make any sense? Why, if they know each other, are gonna help more? Well, through basic things. If you don't help, you shift the burden to someone you're familiar with and you may feel uncomfortable imposing on them in this way. Um, also, a lot of people you know are gonna see this emergency and you are not doing anything. So that's embarrassing. And three, you lose the benefit of enhancing social cohesion. And humans, we love social cohesion. Until now, we're seeing that our helping behavior is influenced by others and is influenced by others depending on the communication channel available to the onlookers. Let me explain this. We have to make three questions. We're gonna talk about the individual as if we were in the individual, okay? And, and we had to report or not report a situation. Okay, the first question is, is the individual aware that others are present? Like, do you think you are alone in that situation? This question is related to diffusion of responsibility because, of course, in the moment you realize you are with more people, you share the responsibility. Even you don't hear them, even you don't know how they are reacting, you just know there's more people that can help, so you just don't do it. But it does matter if you are aware of others' reaction. This is the second question. Can the individual see or hear the others and see how they are reacting? This is very important because you are in the street and you see the rest. You can link this to diffusion of responsibility plus social influence. What is social influence? Well, so this is that other bystanders provide a model for action. 
If you are seeing their reaction after you see them that they are passive, well, the situation seems okay. And the third possibility, the third question, well, for this we have to put the focus on the others, not in us. So can the others, can the rest see what's the behavior of the individual? Can the other see what I'm going to do? And this is totally linked to diffusion of responsibility plus audience inhibition. What is audience inhibition? It is also called fear of social blunders. And this is that we might not help because we don't want to appear foolish by overreacting. Maybe we report the emergency and then when police come, they realize that nothing had happened. So you feel embarrassed and, and you don't want to feel embarrassed, right? Why are these three questions important? Because there was an experiment conducted also by uh, Darley and Latane. It was like the most complicated one. And they wanted to see the effects of these three processes, these, these three questions, right? Like the diffusion of responsibility, the audience inhibition, and the social influence. So what they did is that they faked an emergency situation under different conditions. Like one alone, so the individual didn't know if there were small people around, around or not, surrounded by people, but the others couldn't see the individual, a situation in which the individual was surrounded by people and people could see the reaction of the individual. Well, what were the results? That as the degree of communication increased, helping decreased. So the more exposed you are to others and the others are exposed to you, they're less likely to help. Yeah, I know it's kind of stressing to discover that we are that but influenceable. But this is not all because we can be influenced by the other onlookers, but we can be influenced too by the victim. This is more or less obvious because when we see someone in need, well, that may evoke a particular kind of closeness. And this has been conceptualized as sympathy or empathic concern. It's also what we call compassion. So compassion can motivate us to help. We are influenced by the people around us, we are influenced by the victim, but we also can be influenced by a model. This is due to the modeling effect, and this means that if we see someone helping, we will be more willing to help later. It kind of looks like a kid's thing, but it happened with, with adults. And also, if we see that someone is rewarded because they did something, we might do it too. We human, we're always looking for some rewards. And this is called learning by vicarious experience. The important thing is that you help because the victim doesn't care at all about the name of these terms. And if you help, it can be beneficial too. Because as we said before, we can get social approval, yay! And also the avoidance of shame. You know how valuable is the social approval. And I'm sure that you know someone who only helps because of this reward of being accepted by the others. And this can happen with individuals, but it also can happen with companies. And that's what's called the greenwashing. You know, these big companies that they share in social networks and everywhere that they've helped this NGO or they did this and that. But their main goal is to raise reputation. Their main goal is not to help. And there is a big discussion there because some people say that we shouldn't accept that kind of help. Some other people say that, well, why not? I mean, it's help anyway. Actually, there is a theory that says that people intervene in an emergency because they find it unpleasantly arousing and, and they seek relief. So this suggests that altruism 
like the, the, the real altruism is in reality is motivated by self-interest. And this is not a theory that was made by a high school student. This was published by Pileavin, and this theory is called the bystander calculus model. This bystander calculus model of helping involves body and mind. Uh, it's a mixture of physiological processes and cognitive processes. And according to the author, Pileavin, when we think someone is in trouble, we work our way through three stages before we respond. The first one is the physiological arousal. Our first reaction to someone in distress is physiological, is an empathic response. The greater the arousal, the more chance that the bystander will help. There is also a cognitive aspect. As the victim plight becomes clearer and more severe, our physiological arousal increases, likely to be high. Second stage is labeling the arousal. Being aroused is one thing, but reeling a specific emotion, such as fear, anger, love, is another. Generally, arousal does not automatically produce specific emotions. People's cognitions or thoughts about the arousal play a critical role in determining the nature of the emotions they feel. Sometimes our response is also to feel distressed. And the third and last stage is evaluating the consequences. Finally, the bystanders evaluate the consequences of acting before they help a victim, choosing an action that will reduce their personal distress at lowest cost. And here appears an interesting word, cost. The cost of helping. What is a cost of helping? Because the greater the cost, the less likely the bystander will help. Okay, all cool, all correct. This cost of helping relies in two things. The physical danger, like getting in an icy river to save a dog, and time and effort. And there's a super interesting experiment about this time and effort cost. I'm calling it the Good Samaritan experiment. It was conducted by Darley and Batson, not Latin at this time, and to make a summary, because I love this experiment, we'll say that there were some theology students and they were in a rush because they had to give a speech about the parable of the Good Samaritan in the Bible. They had to go from point A to point B, where they were gonna give this speech. But they were late, they were in a rush, and in their way to point B, they came across a homeless man lying in the floor. Did any of the students stop and help? One more time, the results were amazing, because only 10% of students stopped and helped. We can clearly see here that the cost in time was very high to help, was high even for theological students. Sometime later, they repeated the experiment, but without making the students be in a hurry, without any rush. And what happened then? That 63% of students stood by and helped the man. When the authors concluded the experiment, they interviewed the participants and asked them, hey, why you didn't help? And some even reported that they didn't have noticed that there was a man there. And this didn't happen in the experiment, but it can happen in the city center of your hometown. Uh, people don't help and even blame the victim for the, for the situation. And this may be because of the just world hypothesis. This means that people are responsible for their own plight and get what they deserve. And since we tend to assume that we are good people, we think that nothing bad will happen to us. Maybe it happened in the case of Kitty Genovese, and some neighbors didn't help because they thought, mm, if she's there, it's because she deserves it. This argument, this obstacle, this excuse, whatever you want to call it, is just one among so many, and we can understand this better with the Darlis and Latine cognitive model. 
Unlike Pilyavin's account of helping based on empathy that we discussed before, the model suggested by Darley and Latany in 1970 features a decision-making process based on how other people respond. And there are five steps to a helping behavior. Step one, notice the situation. Notice that something is going on. This first step has its obstacles because you can have distractions, you have can self-concerns such as, well, I'm late for a very important date. And these obstacles that appear in all steps, they prevent you from helping. Step two, interpret the event as an emergency. But in this step, of course, there are obstacles such as ambiguity, like is she really sick or just drunk? There is also the obstacle about the just world hypothesis, like, oh, they'll have to resolve their own family problems. And the third obstacle, and most important, is the pluralistic ignorance. In this step is where pluralistic ignorance occur, because you see around you and you feel, well, no one else seems worried, so it should be okay. Step three, take responsibility for providing help. What's the problem here? The diffusion of responsibility. Because as we said in the beginning, the presence of others prevents us from helping. There is a lot of people around you and you might think hmm, someone else might have called 911. But as everybody's thinking the same, nobody does. Step four, decide how to help. There are two ways, basically, direct intervention or reportorial intervention. For the direct one is like, you just go and help, but you need skills and knowledge and not everybody have that. And the reportorial means to report the situation to someone qualified, such as the police. The main obstacle here is the lack of competence, because you can think, oh, I'm not trained to handle this. So you don't provide direct help. And you can also think, oh, who would I call now? In the same way, you don't provide reportorial help. Step five, provide help. It's very nice if you get till here, but of course there are some obstacles too. The first one is the audience inhibition. Like, mm, I don't, I am not gonna help because I look like a fool. And this step is where you calculate the cost of helping. You may think that Darley and Latane proposed a model very organized and very rational where you think a lot about all your decisions, but what if there was something irrational in it? What about the primitive instinct of helping? Yep, biology comes into play. Biology and controversy, because there is a classic debate about whether genetic or environmental factors determine human behavior. This is called the nature-nurture controversy, but scientists generally accept that is an interaction of both. Please pay more attention to everything what we have been talking till now, but I think it's interesting also to consider the biological factor. Mainly because humans have innate synthesis to help others, or that's what Stevens, Cushman and Hosser said. And other animals do too, such as dogs. Animals cooperate. And there are two explanations of this cooperative behavior, the mutualism and the kin selection. Mutualism is an interaction between individuals of different species that results in positive or beneficial effects for reproduction and or survival of the interacting populations. A basic example is a bee going to a flower. It's good for the bee and it's good for the flower. And in second place, the kin selection is the cooperative strategy that favors the reproductive success of an animal's relatives. We might not realize, but we are the whole time trying to perpetuate our species. And a good example shown in the research 
is that we prefer to help a healthy person instead of a sick person. Or for instance, we prefer to help a 10-year-old boy than a very old person. But you know what, this theory is okay, but it has a big problem. That there is a lack of human evidence. And the first and biggest example is the case of Kitty Genovese. 